Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 12, how Abraham began to follow God and do great things for his glory at 75 years old, and how Sarah followed and never said no to God through Abraham. Remember that you can download all of Tom Cantor and Friendship with God messages for free at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's just a small verse from the Bible and a short one or two sentence commentary on that verse from the Bible. It's a great exhortation, a great encouragement. As you start off your morning friendship with God every morning with a daily devotional verse from Tom Cantor, sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. We also want to ask if there's anybody in the Southern California area, particularly Los Angeles, that would like to partner and work with Israel Restoration Ministries as a volunteer or in our full-time open position that we have in the Los Angeles area. If you're a Christian and you want to witness to God's lost nation of chosen people, the Jewish people who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior, we would like to hear from you. You can contact us at 800-247-3051, and join our team of full-time, part-time, and volunteers that take the gospel out with Israel Restoration Ministries to a lost and dying world. And so if you'd like to volunteer or work with us full-time, please call us at 800-247-3051. You can go to our website, israelrestoration.org, for more information about our ministry, israelrestoration.org, or go to friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online, friendshipwithgod.org, to support this Bible teaching radio program or support Jewish evangelism and the gospel going out to the Jewish people. Now, here is our saved, born-again Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and Bible teacher here on Friendship with God, Tom Cantor, teaching us how Abraham would have a great name at 75 years old. Abraham said, looked at himself and he says, I'm an unknown alien in a foreign land. How can I be, have a great name? And when God told Abraham that he'd make him a blessing to others, Abraham saw he didn't own one square inch of land. He didn't have any possessions. to. How can he give anything to anyone? So Abraham heard what God said, but what stood in opposition to Abraham believing God was what he saw with his eyes. He looked around and he said, that's the problem. So Abraham's circumstances stood in opposition to God's word. And so if Abraham was going to believe God's word, then Abraham had to overcome what he saw. That's the key with Abraham. He had to overcome what he saw with his eyes. If Abraham was going to believe God, then he was going to have to see what he couldn't see. Sounds funny to say that. But he's going to have to see what he physically could not see. And that's the same for us. We know what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John eleven twenty five, 25, when he said, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. See, when he said, though he were dead, the Lord was saying, this is a conflict here. There's a conflict here with the though he were dead and yet shall he live. Because he's saying this is a conflict between walking by sight, though he were dead, and walking by faith, yet shall he live. And so when we stand, at the graveside of a believer and watch the dirt cover the coffin or do as the Jewish people do, which is even more brought into it, that each person goes and takes a little shovel full of dirt 
and then walks over to the grave and puts it onto the coffin. And so, and if you and I are going to believe God when he says, though he were dead, yet shall he live, then you and I have to be like Abraham. We have to overcome what we see with our eyes so that we can see what we can't physically see. And we'll have to overcome seeing the dirt and the worms to see beyond. We have to get like Job. You want to turn Job. Job 19.25-27. through 27. This is really Job's testimony of how he overcame what he saw. And what did he say in Job 19.25-27? through 27? He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my skin or flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins or kidneys be consumed within me. See, Job said, I see with my eyes the earth of the grave. I see with my eyes the worms eating my body. I see my kidneys being consumed in me. I see all that with my eyes. But he's saying, I have overcome what I see with my eyes so that I, that, so that I can see what I can't physically see. And overcoming, let me tell you, this is what Job is saying. Let me tell you what I see as I've overcome. He says, I have overcome to clearly see that my Redeemer lives. I see my Redeemer, Jesus, lives. I clearly see now him standing on the earth at the latter day. In other words, he's saying, I clearly see my Redeemer, Jesus, standing on this earth. He says, I clearly see my flesh restored, and I clearly see myself seeing God. That's funny the way he says that. He says, I clearly see in my body, I clearly see myself seeing him. In other words, he say, I see myself seeing Jehovah Jesus. And he says, and he goes into details because he was interested to see himself seeing Jesus. So he says, I clearly see my own eyes seeing the Lord. And they're not the eyes of somebody else. He makes that clear to us. So how could Job do this? How could Job do this? Because he overcame what he saw and he was consumed by the word of God so that he was able to overcome what he saw, and then he could see what he couldn't see. That's what faith is, and faith generates. The word of God generates faith. The word of God uh, gives this sight. That's what it means when it says in Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, as we live in God's word, then when we stand at the graveside of the believer, we can say, I see the worms, but I see the worms giving back all the atoms that they have consumed. And I see those atoms reorganizing themselves into the new man. I see the dirt, but I see the dirt bursting aside to release the new resurrected man. So what's the principle we learn from this? God does not want us to be led by what we see in our surrounding circumstances. That's not what God wants. And this is a process. And this process that Job was involved in here is that he was not thinking and he was not drawing conclusions based on what he saw. But what Job was doing is he was thinking 
and he was drawing conclusions based on the word of God. And you know who's a good example for that? A good person who does a good example for that in the Bible, of someone who thinks and draws conclusions from the word of God and not from what he saw. Who was the first person in God's hall of faith in Hebrews 11? Anybody remember? Was it Adam? Was it Eve? Was it the serpent? <laughs> so who was it? Moses. No, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Seth. Abel. Did you say Abel? I think you said Abel. You said, okay. I thought maybe you were speaking in tongues or something like that. All right, so Abel. So Abel was the first person. Now, Abel is very interesting because if you look at it in Hebrews 11.4, he's the first person in the Hebrew 11 hall of faith, and it says this. By faith, Abel offered unto God, Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and he being dead yet speaketh. Okay. So Abel is a good example of a person who thought and drew conclusions from God's word. How did that happen? He brought a sacrifice to God, which was a blood offering from animals. Uh, By contrast, Cain brought a sacrifice to God, which was from his crops. But when you look at Genesis 3 and 4, this happened in Genesis 4, so you look at the chapter before, Genesis 3 and 4, and we have no record of God telling Cain and Abel to bring a blood sacrifice and not from the crops. When they brought their offerings, we have no record of God telling them to bring blood sacrifices. Both were costly sacrifices, but Hebrews 11.4, the record says that Abel's sacrifice was a more excellent sacrifice, and the way God put it in Genesis 4 and 5, Genesis 4, verses 4 and 5, it explains the difference between the two sacrifices like this. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. We'll return with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in just a moment here on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, downloading these messages on the go, and you're growing in your knowledge of God and in your friendship with God, we'd like to ask you to support this Bible teaching radio program with a donation of $40 or more, and we'll send you some of the Summer Blitz materials that we're handing out to Jewish people as a thank you for supporting Friendship with God. Call us at 800-247-3051 with a donation of $40 or more, and we'll send you some great materials that you can study from Tom Cantor as a thank you for your support of Jewish evangelism and this Bible teaching radio program. 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051 or friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor. So why did God have respect for Abel's blood sacrifice, but no respect for Cain's crop sacrifice? Why was Abel's blood sacrifice a more excellent sacrifice than Cain's? Because Abel thought, and he drew conclusions from God's word, and Cain did not. Abel thought like this. Abel said, God said that the penalty for sin was death. And the day you eat thereof, you shall die, and the 
or stopping what the Bible calls the breath of life. You know, the breath of life was not just breathed into me, was breathed into man, but it also speaks about animals have the breath of life. So it's as though it's stopping what's called the breath of life. And Adam and Eve sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, then God killed an animal. He stopped the breath of life in the animal. And so Abel's sitting there thinking, I'm a sinner. I have the breath of life. I need a substitute. I need a sacrifice like God did, a sacrifice that has the breath of life. I never saw a tomato breathe. Anyway, <laughs> that I can identify with. So Abel thought, see? And then he drew the conclusion, I need the sacrifice that has the breath of life that can die by stopping the breath of life. Animals have the breath of life. Plants do not. Plants are not the correct sacrifice, but animals are the correct sacrifice. And so he thinks to have an acceptable sacrifice. Abel thinks I have to kill an animal, and then I identify with the animal that's been killed. Now, little did Abel know that he was going to be the next one that was killed, but that's all right. Anyways, but Abel did what faith does. Abel did what faith does. Faith thinks and draws conclusions based on the word of God. Sight thinks and draws conclusions based on what is physically seen. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. See, walking by faith means to think and draw conclusions based on God's word, not on what's seen. Now, we come... In verse 3, and we can see that Abraham, he must feel pretty exposed and pretty vulnerable. I mean, he's left a lot of safety. He's left a lot of shelter that was represented in his country, his kindred, in his father's house. And so God then replaced, he gives to Abraham an assurance by saying, don't worry, Abraham, as for your safety, I will bless them that bless them and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, this has both an immediate and a future ongoing fulfillment. For the immediate, we will see, as we study in the life of Abraham, those who were the friends of Abraham found themselves under the blessing of God. Those who were the enemies of Abraham found themselves being cursed. And for the future, for the Jewish people, those who are the friends of the Jewish people find themselves being blessed by God. And those who are the enemies, don't. Now, Here's a question. When you look in verse 3, we see that God promises to do two activities. Simple question. What are they? Two activities that God does in verse 3. Bless and curse. Bless and curse. Right. Blessing and cursing. Bless. Bless them the curse. Bless thee. Curse. Two activities. So God is promising to bless and curse. Two activities. Blessing and cursing. Now notice the last part of that verse. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So which one of the two activities is God going to use Abraham in the blessing part, right? See the dramatic difference there between the first part of what God says and the last part of what God says in verse 3. God said that he was going to bless and curse, and then he says that he would use Abraham in the blessing part. See, He said nothing about using Abraham in the cursing part. And we can imagine, well, we'd be like Abraham, we'd say, what about the cursing part? <laughs> Don't you want to say, in thee some shall be cursed? I do. Anyway, he said, aren't you going to use me for the cursing part? And God would reply, no. You will have everything to do with the blessing part, and you will have nothing to do with the cursing part. Because Abraham, the cursing part is God's prerogative. It's not for you. You will not be a part of that. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said. 
to two people. He said to, to James and John in Luke 9. See, the Lord had sent messengers into one of the cities of Samaria that they should get ready for him to come, that he was going to bring the message of salvation, heaven's door was open. And that village just essentially said, we want nothing to do with them. He's not welcome. Don't come. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire <laughs> to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. That's found in Luke 9, 51 through 56. So who got infuriated over the fact that they were not going to be received? James and John. John? No. Gentle John? Yes. James and John. As a matter of fact, in the book of Mark, it says, and James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Bornerges, which are the sons of thunder. Gentle John, the sons of thunder. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that this description is not written in either the books of James or John. <laughs> it's written in Mark, right? <laughs> so that's why we need all the Gospels to get the full picture. But anyway, so they were infuriated because they wanted to curse those Samaritans and call down the fire from heaven. And isn't it interesting how you get to the end of John's life and he's no longer the son of thunder. Now he's the um, beloved, let us love one another. Now he's the son of the rainbow. Anyway. But the Lord Jesus rebuked them, James and John, and he said, no, you have a wrong spirit. You don't even know that you have a wrong spirit. You have a wrong attitude. You don't even know that you have a wrong attitude. And so he says, you're supposed to follow me, which means you watch me and you do what I do. And do you see me letting the rejectors get under my skin so I'm calling fire down from heaven? No, you don't see me do that. Because you, you see that I'm not coming to destroy men's life, but I'm coming to save them. You see, me doing, you see me doing all that I can to get men saved and not sealing them for damnation. And you should do the same thing. And we should also. And we shouldn't be sons of thunder. We should be sons of the rainbow. I mean, that's, anyways, it doesn't matter. So, <laughs> and that's so, that is so much for us today. Because we're like those messengers that go to the Samaritan village and we tell others the gospel and we share with them our greatest treasure and then like those messengers, we get rejected and then we become the sons of thunder, James and John. We get angry, we want to curse them and we want to be like, and we need to receive the Lord's rebuke, which is what he did to them. And then have the Lord remind us of Luke 9.56, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy man's life, but destroy them. So the question is, well, if we're not going to get mad and curse those who have rejected us and, and hurt us, what should we do instead? That's why it's so precious, the last part of Luke 9.56, when it says, they went to another village. They went to another village. That's wonderful. And when we in the gospel, when we, with the gospel, we go share the gospel, it gets rejected, we get mad, what should we do? Stand there and fight? No, he says, just move on. Go to another village. Because we need to know the point that there is a point where we have to say to people, I can't help you, so I need to move on to those I can help. That's what he was saying. And the devil knows when we're on the trail of finding a seeking heart who wants to find God, 
And so what does the devil do? He puts these deflectors that we're so tempted to get mad at in, in our way so that we'll just give up. And God says, don't, don't give up. Go around. That's <laughs> what he's saying. So Genesis 12, 3 says God blesses and he curses and he says to Abraham, I'm only going to use it for the blessing part, not the cursing part. And that's the way it is. You know, recently there was a person working at our house with Cheryl and the person had this habit and, and Cheryl discovered this. It disturbed her. The person would say, God damn it. He would say these things. God damn it. And so at the first, this kind of caught Cheryl off guard. And so she, she went and thought about it and thought what she would say next time it happened. And got it all worked out in her mind, exactly her script and what she would say, and, and to try to help him, to convince him to stop saying that. So the next time he came around the house and, and he said that, and then Cheryl she was already, <laughs> she, probably, she said, you know, she said, did you know that God came in Jesus so that God would not have to damn? That's what she said. In fact, God does not want to damn. God wants to bless. So when you say, God damn it, you are asking God to do what he doesn't want to do. That's what she did. I thought it was pretty good. Anyway, the, the guy didn't, so he just said, I know it. And she was waiting for him to you know, come say something like, I'm not going to do it anymore, or something like that. But he didn't say anything, so she got frustrated. And, and so she just turned to him, she said, so shame on you. <laughs> so that's exactly what Genesis 12, 3 is saying. God wants to use us for the best part, the blessing part. God does not want to use us for the cursing part. And when you look at Genesis 12, 3, let me ask you a question. You look at Genesis 12, 3. What's the one word? I'm looking for one word. What's the one word that God uses to describe who he is going to bless? This is an easy question. I will bless them. There you go. All right, now, I will bless them. All right, now look at the verse again. And what is the one word that God uses to describe who he is going to curse? I will curse him. See? There's a difference between them and him, right? So, okay, why did God say he was going to bless them, as in all of them, and then he went on to say he was going to curse just him as to little lonesome him, see? Because that shows the heart of God. See, God hopes for, and he sees many, 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 many people being blessed with salvation from their sins and making them happy, that's what God likes. And he hopes no one is cursed, so he expresses this, this heart, by using them, bless them, and just little lonesome him for the cursing part. And that's what Cheryl was meaning when she said God came so they would not have to damn anyone. He doesn't want to damn anyone. He just wants to bless everyone. That's why when the Lord told the parable, and then he said, there's nobody who's come into this uh, supper, and then he said, the Lord said, go out on the highways and hedges, compel them to come in that my house may be full. That's God. God is compel them to come in that my house may be full. And so to emphasize this point to Abraham, God says the them and the him, and he also says, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's why it says, when you get the them and all, that God is the one who, according to 1 Timothy 2.4, is the one who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And 2 Peter 3.9 He is the one who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much that this is who you are. You are a God who is quick to bless. You are a God who came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You are a God who loved the world so much you gave your son. And Lord, you are a God who also wants to take out of us the thunder and put instead within us the love, your love, to reach out to the lost and patiently hold out the gospel. And we thank you for, Lord, working with us and not casting us off as we become angry and for forgiving us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another great day of studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He's a scientist, CEO, 2009 Whistleblower of the Year. He's also a pastor and an author, as well as a patent holder, and he's an incredible Bible teacher. If you'd like some of his resources, you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org. We have some free resources online at friendshipwithgod.org, or click on resources and Tom Cantor's materials. Tom Cantor has a lot of videos as well as written materials that you can choose from and purchase and also has an entire bookstore, a creation bookstore, that has everything you can imagine online from Bibles to devotionals to scientific studies on creation to books about dinosaurs, the flood, children's books, and many other Bible-based Christian books that you can purchase and help grow your friendship with God, all available online at Friendship with God. Org. Just click on resources and Tom Cantor's materials. It'll take you right to our online bookstore with everything that you need to grow your friendship with God. You can also donate at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program continuing on your station in your city and supporting Jewish evangelism and the gospel going to the Jewish people. Or call us 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.